0: new pine grove new pine new, Piney grove.
1: new Piney grove. welcome to new Piney grove baptist church where grove. one of our core values is christian education new let's Piney tune in grove. to this week's message
2: Amen. Lord have your way. The betrayal, the betrayal, the word betrayal, betrayal can be defined as to disappoint the hopes or expectations, to be unfaithful, violation of a person's trust or confidence of a moral standard, or to deliver or to expose to an enemy. Many of us have encountered some type of betrayal, in our life either you or the betray one being betrayed or the betrayer the one that is doing the betraying as we journey through the bible we'll find numerous accounts of people in the bible being betrayed I'm reminded of reading about Samson in Judges chapter 16 being the, he was being betrayed by the lovely Delilah see Samson loved Delilah but I couldn't find in the scriptures where she loved him back. Okay. The Philistine rulers came to her and said, see if you lure Samson into telling us where he gets his strength from, they wanted to know where he got his strength from. So she kept inquiring about where he got his strength from. The Bible tells that he asked, she asked him on numerous occasions. When he finally told, then he finally gave in and told her. Then the, the Philistines captured Samson. Even in that God still got the glory. Many of you are familiar with David's betrayal of Uriah the Hittite in 2 Samuel chapter 11. When David should have been out to war with, with all the other kings, he saw a woman bathing on the rooftop and inquired about her. Then he slept with her, knowing she, that she was a married woman. Knowing her husband was fighting in the battle, that David should have been fighting about we're talking about betrayals this evening. But the ultimate betrayal was the one we find in John chapter 22. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled. Verse 20, John chapter 2, verse 21, he said, and he, <clears throat> and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Uh-huh. Skipping down to verse 26, we find Jesus responded. It is the one whom I gave, gave will give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, Oscar. Verse 27 states, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry up and do what you're going to do. We find in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus went to the priest. Judas went to the priest and betray, betrayed Jesus for, for filthy lucre, for 30 pieces of silver. Today, time that will be around $600. All that for betraying our Heavenly Father. Nothing in life compares to the betrayal of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to betray the King of glory. Judas, how dare you betray the King of glory? You saw the miracles. You saw the healing. You saw the deliverance. You heard the teaching. But you still betrayed Jesus. Jesus supplied all that he needed. When Jesus fed, he was there when Jesus fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread. Judas was there when he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was walking with Jesus. He was talking with Jesus. He was hanging out with the Messiah. We saw earlier in the definition, we stated that betrayal meant to disappoint the hopes or expectation. Some of us wouldn't be in the position that we are in now if it wasn't for someone trying to set us up. Someone talking about us. Someone lying on us. See, Jesus had to be portrayed so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. Some of you don't understand why your friends said what they said or did what they said or did what they did. The betrayal that you went through made you stronger. And the betrayal that Jesus Christ endured gave us the key to eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for the betrayal. Amen.
3: Matthew 26 and 34, Jesus said to him, Surely I say unto you that this night, before the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. Don't let the rooster crow. Peter was so sure that he made a sacred vow, and in doing so, he placed his hand upon the holy plow. But when the soldiers took Jesus away, Peter looked back and discovered that true faith he lacked. We often make profession that Jesus is Lord and loved above all. But often when we face the test, like Peter, we fall. So be careful what you say. You may hear the rooster crow some day. Don't be so quick to boast about your spirituality, because out of the corner of your eyes, Jesus you might see. So stay humble and low, and in doing so, you won't let the rooster crow.
4: trial, he had to be guilty. Today when we watch TV, we watch in the ID channel, I'm an addict, Uh, but we watch these different trials from O.J. Simpson to George Zimmerman, Jody Arias. We tune in and we got our opinions. We watch them bring in the person. We size them up. We listen to the cases. We look at the witnesses. We determine their guilt. Before they even give, give us the evidence, we already know whether they're guilty or not. Yeah, you know, and then when they come down with the judgment, we've already decided that's not enough time. And we all have our opinions about court and the trial. We all look at it that way. But as I thought about the word trial, I thought about the greatest trials there ever was. And I didn't say trial because Jesus actually had six trials over a one-night period. And you're talking about a miscarriage of justice. We complain about the court system that we have now and how something didn't go right and they didn't have somebody in the right place and the defense attorney didn't do this and the prosecutor was wrong about this. It has nothing on the trial of Jesus Christ. It started early after they pulled him out of the garden and then they pulled him up to Annis and Annis, he wasn't even supposed to be involved they pulled him up to a court where he ain't even a judge. And he sits before Annis, and this is his arraignment. That's what they call it. They're trying to decide whether he got enough evidence to push it forward. And so he didn't say nothing to him. He tried hard. But see, Ennis was upset because he already messed up his money in the temple when he flipped them tables. So he, he tried to push it to the next court. He pushed it up. So they took him to Cephas. Who's his son-in-law? It's in the family. What would we do with that if the judge was somehow connected to the, to the attorney? We'd have a problem with that. But they did it to Jesus. And so here he stands before Cephas, and Cephas tries to tell him, Who are you? They say you're the king of the Jews. He, and he says, he actually answers him, which is something he wasn't required to do if it had been a fair trial. But he tells him, uh, it is as you say. And so, oh, Cephas is hot now. You didn't told me you guilty. So he pushes him out and sends him to the Sandarian court. And this is supposed to be a jury of 71 people. And they're all supposed to be polled one at a time to give their answer. They're not supposed to give a verdict until they fast overnight. They skipped all that stuff in this trial. They skipped it all, and they gave him a charge. They charged him with blasphemy. And so here he is on trial for being who he is. But they called it blasphemy. And they sit sitting there, and they're thinking, well, the Romans, they're not going to kill him for blasphemy because, you know, that's not big on their scale. So they sent him to Pilate. And Pilate says, I don't see nothing wrong with this dude. But they had to change the charge because Pilate's not gonna kill him over blasphemy. So they say he's a treasonous insurrection. He's against us. And so Pilate tries to find something deep down inside and he can't find nothing. He said, I tell you what, you're in the wrong jurisdiction. How many times have we seen the courts move? Because it was in the wrong jurisdiction, they had to send him to the where the Galileans person was. So they sent him over to Herod. And King Herod is like, I just want to see you perform a couple of miracles. I'm not really in- involved with it, and uh, I really don't care what they're saying. Could you just perform a miracle for me? And since Jesus wasn't showing no miracles, he got a little upset, and he sent him on back to Pilate. That's your problem, brother. So <laughs> he gets back to Pilate, and Pilate was like, listen, uh, I still don't see nothing wrong but the people. Pilate was weak. He knew he was innocent, but he couldn't withstand the political pressure. So he says, I'm going to let y'all decide. So the people choose Baranos over him and say crucify him. This was, he was down to his sixth trial. Found guilty by his own people because the Romans never found him guilty. But the Jews did total miscarriage miscarriage of justice, and we see it all the time. He wasn't guilty of what they charged him with. This is the problem. What they didn't know was he had to be guilty. So, they decide to go ahead. There were so many things wrong with the trials. First, it was happening in Passover week. Should have never happened. The verdict was happening without the fasting. Should have never happened. Each person should have been polled instead of a group collective verdict. Didn't happen. Charles was held at night. It was supposed to be in day and in public. Didn't happen. Key witnesses were supposed to have charges. Didn't happen. Jesus was supposed to have a defender. Didn't happen. And he didn't have to speak. But they questioned him anyway. Here we are, they then charged and convicted him of blasphemy and treason. And I tell you the truth, he wasn't guilty of that. They charged him for the wrong thing. He was guilty and he had to be guilty. He was guilty of turning wine into the water. He was guilty of opening the eyes of the blind. He was guilty of making the lame get up and walk. He was guilty of raising the dead He was guilty of curing the woman with the issue of blood. He was guilty of healing them leopards. He was guilty of common raging seas. He was guilty of feeding the multitudes with five fish and two loaves of bread. He was guilty of a gut wrenching butt beating on the way to that cross. He was guilty of dying a horrific death for some undeserving people. He was guilty. He's still guilty. He's guilty of loving us stiff-necked folk. He's guilty of saving people that don't deserve to be saved. He's guilty of delivering us out of all our mess. He's guilty of providing for us. He's guilty of making a way out of no way. He's guilty of giving us grace and mercy and none of it we deserve. He's guilty of being a healer when the doctor said it don't work. He's guilty He's guilty right now of being a redeemer of the one that don't know they need to be redeemed. He's guilty of interceding on my behalf when I can't open my mouth. He's guilty of preparing a place for me right now. Aren't you glad they found him guilty?
1: Um, my wife told me a lot of stuff last year about her seeing uh, Christians, so that gave me an idea. Now, we always know that the Christians, which they don't really know, is that they actually mock God, but their injustice of the things they do that is not godly. So, do you ever think about some of the ways we mock God? People who say they are Christians, but their life doesn't say it so. You see them at work, church, everywhere else. They are part of the gossiping team that hangs around the water fountain, the break room, and don't forget, they gotta go outside and smoke at the gazebo. All the while, they are telling other people how to live, what they should do or not do. We see them living like the Pharisees and Sadducees of the Bible. Basically, they're just plain old hypocrites. Mocking Jesus at every turn. Because they didn't believe who he said he was, they just did not believe who he said he was. If you are not imitating Christ in everything and everywhere you walk in life, you are mocking God. God. Just like the Roman soldiers did before Jesus went to the cross, you didn't believe, even though you said you are a believer of Jesus Christ. Instead, you helped the Roman soldiers. You helped the Roman soldiers whip Christ. You helped put the crown of thorns on his head. You ripped the very clothes off his back and divided amongst other hypocrit- hypocritical Christians. What you did was right in your own blind eyes. You thought you saw, but you didn't. You spit on him, you told him that you don't care, and you don't love him. And that's what we do every time we do wrong, every time we do injustice to Christ, or every time basically the big old word is sin. Even though Jesus could have stopped it at any time, he continued to go to the cross. He loved us enough to die on the cross for us and not only save us, but to save a world without end. They say they are really living life, they're really living their life for God. The question is, who are they really living for? Is it for self-gratification or the reward that turns to dust? Either way, you have mocked our Lord and Savior and helped put him on the cross. Since you did not have the faith or believe he was the Messiah, congratulations. You have hammered into his hands and feet the nails. But we've been redeemed, people. We've been redeemed because no wonder Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do.
5: we just thank you. I had to laugh. I had to prop myself on up here, but thank God I'm here. So I just need for somebody in this house to say, it's still the cross. Crosses, you, you, you see them everywhere. On houses of worship, on gray markers, or, or on pieces of uh, jewelry worn as a, a necklace or a bracelet or even earrings. See, we celebrate the cross. We even romanticize it. We have so glamorized the cross that we fail to realize the pain, the cruelty, the humiliating death of Jesus. But in a broader, uh, more, pro- more profound, and more troubling sense, we voluntarily start to remove the cross from our hearts and minds. Therefore, the price of a uh, Good Friday or Resurrection Sunday, it has little meaning for us. Our culture seems to be content with Jesus the prophet, Jesus the teacher, but takes offense to Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. The scene at Calvary is just too ugly for some of us to look at because of the implications of our sin. and They don't want to look at Jesus that was spat upon or mocked and nailed to a cross, Instead of a broken Jesus on the cross, they they prefer a more pleasant image of Him. You know, like we see in our Sunday Sunday school books, with Him with a little child, that loving Savior, and that He is. But one thing we need to understand as the body of Christ is that, and as we study Jesus' crucifixion, that the manner of His death it is central to the gospel message. We are commissioned to share. When Christ died on the cross for sinners, he not only stood in our place doing what we could never do, forgiving our sins, he, so, he, he died so that we could be glorified, glorified, but not to keep us from being crucified. That's what I like about Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, he was speaking to the Corinthian church and he was talking about not letting the cross lose its crucif- crucifying power. You know that it that it don't affect the presence. You know the presence of us, the present tense, the world that we live in. They thought this Corinthian church. Now they they thought they thought they had progress beyond the cross. See the, the cross they thought might have been necessary to get them over the problem of sin. But now they were rich and wise and and let's say they were kings in their own eyes. The weakness of the cross, the foolishness of the cross, the humiliation of the cross, these were long gone. It's amazing to realize that in 2019, that same stumbling block for some, the cross of Jesus Christ, those 2,000 years ago that in 2019, it is still a stumbling block to some. And I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about some of us that are saved who proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because if it was so the fact, then this house would be full. And then Resurrection Sunday wouldn't be a dress up in my Easter dress or my Easter suit. It would be all to glorify God. But I like the way uh, Paul brought this church back to reality. And it did show us that the Christian life Is the life of the cross, he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom or declaring you the testimony of God. For I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, what does that mean? Well, it does not mean the only thing he mentioned in in his eighteen months in Corinth was the cross. Because, again, in the letter, he scolds them for things that their understanding was just totally wet, for other things that they seemed not to understand. I think what it means is that whatever else he knew, whatever else Paul spoke about, and whatever else he did, he would know and say it and do it in relation to Christ crucified. This thing brings me back to where I started from. See, Paul would not let the cross become a a historical relic, a fashion piece. He put the cross at the center of his everyday work and relationship. He makes tents in the shadow of the cross. He preaches in the shadow of the cross. He disputes with opponents in the shadow of the cross. He eats and drinks and sleeps Christ crucified. What Paul wanted more than anything was to know Christ, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, because Paul wanted to be like him. And that's what we have to do. We have to get to that point where we want to know him. We want to know his suffering. We want to know his pain. But we recall from that, we don't want to know about that. We just want that high and mighty longevity type life where everything is bling, 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 I got money in my bank account, I got a new car, I can get whatever I want. When I want it, and those things are true. But it's more than that. What Paul is trying to tell us, we got to die to ourselves. We got to be about Christ's business. Because if you got to know Christ and his suffering, then you get to know him better. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, 6, Our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed. We might no longer be enslaved to sin. We reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. In other words, we got to never let the cross lose its crucifying power in our life. Never let it slip into some dim, misty past. As though Christ died for sinners so that you can live to please yourself. Because it ain't about us, it's higher than us. The pleasures, they're coming. The Bible tells us that. They're on the horizon, they are coming unto us. But we can't live like there is no tomorrow. Because we got a God to glorify. Listen, there is no real knowledge apart from the cross. At the cross we come to the knowledge of who we are and who God is. So I just want to ask you, aren't you glad for the cross? We know that Jesus was sinless. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, him who know no sin. God made him to be sin for us. Christ became sin for us. And from that point on, sin was nailed to the cross. And I'm so glad that it was nailed to the cross. Because over my head were these different types of sin. A liar. A cheater, a thief, an adulterer, a blasphemer. We would be nothing without the cross of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice at Calvary. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. No man can come to him except through him, through the Father, except through Jesus Christ. The salvation that I speak of cost a great price, but it was my debt. It was my debt that Jesus Christ paid for. And he paid it for me in full. So I just leave you with this thought. It's still the cross. Though times have changed, though the blood is still ignored and the cross at times gets watered down or avoided. It's still the cross. I like what the songwriter said and I'm not going to sing it but I'm going to give you a few words. It was at the cross where I first saw the light. Thank God there was, that, that, that my faith was in that light that was shining from the cross. That's why I got to know that it's higher than me. It's higher than me. It's at the cross where I first saw the light. Where my cries and my sins, they were thrown away. Because it was Jesus that groaned on that tree. To save a wretch like me. Amen.
3: Gospel of John 19 chapter 38 verse through 41. And these, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with spices as it is the custom of the Jesus. Now the place where he was crucified was a garden, a garden with a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Borrowed, not bought. The tomb of Jesus, excuse me, the tomb of Joseph where Jesus laid was a grave site just on loan It was only needed as a display. It was not something Jesus owned. Pilate assigned the Roman guard to ensure the tomb of Jesus would remain. But all the powers of hell, his body it could not contain. The religious leader's greatest fear had come to reality. The stone was rolled away so an empty tomb witness could see. But it wasn't Jesus' disciples that took the body, as the Pharisees said? Right. Jesus had told them many times that he would be raised from the dead. Yes. Yes. The empty tomb serves as a symbol for us to keep in our thoughts. Joseph's tomb was borrowed by Jesus; it was never bought. Yes. <clears throat>
0: Pastor, have already told us that the tomb was buried and not bought. And I imagine that those who stood by was trying to figure this all out. Because in John chapter 19, it does talk about Jesus dying and being put in this borrowed tomb. But if you skip back 17 chapters, John chapter 2 After Jesus clears the temple for what they did, they mocked him. And then they said, well, if you have authority to do all this, show us a sign. And I like the New Living Translation because it said, all right. Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they were mortified because they were thinking about the physical temple. But verse 21 says, but when Jesus said this, this temple, he meant his own body. So if we could just use our imagination like any good mystery drama, how in the world the same person that said in three days I'll raise it up, now we see him being lowered from a cross. Now, I don't profess to be an avid TV watcher, but I do have a few things that I like to watch. I'm not one of those people that have TV on for noise. But those few shows I'm faithful to, and probably if you had to guess, you probably could name some of them because between past sermons of myself and my husband, you would know that Perry Mason made the list, Matlock made the list, Columbo made the list, and one of our favorites also is Diagnosis Murder. And lately, as we've been watching Diagnosis Murder, they had several episodes that when we got to the end of the episode. A big To Be Continued will flash up. And my husband hated it. No, nah, They done set us up. They done got us all into it. And you know you be so into it, you don't realize how long you've been watching the show. Because if you realize how long you've been watching the show, you know ain't no way they can come to a conclusion that soon. But they got you so captivated in everything that's going on so far. The next thing you know, you see a To Be Continued. And you feel deflated a little bit. You feel robbed a little bit. You get riled up when you're in deep real good. And right at that pivotal exciting point, it says to be continued. And so when I think about the scripture of Jesus being Lord and from that cross, in my mind there was a big to be continued. Because see, to be continued in television means that it's at the end of an episode to indicate that the story continues to the next chapter. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Well, what's the next episode? Have you ever been watching a show and the main character looked like something bad happened to him? Like they died and in your mind you're thinking, they can't kill him all. He the star of the show. And then sometimes I get all think. I'm thinking. I'm looking at what episode we're in the middle of the season. They can't kill him. I eat the star of the show in the middle of the season. The star of the show in the middle of the season. You wonder how it's gonna play out. You wonder what the director is gonna do in the next episode to bring the star back. So you ponder in your mind the different. Endings. How can they bring Dr. Sloan back? And the great thing about it, you can't wait to the next show. You're on edge. And one thing that we always talk about is, long time ago, you watched one show, you had to wait a whole nother week to figure out what that next episode was going to be. And we couldn't wait. You were getting ready you got your snacks together. You know what I'm saying? You made sure you made it home in time to set to get the, everything straight because you not want nobody to bother you. Waiting for the next episode. Well, I'd like to suggest that on this Good Friday, we're still in the middle of the season. And even though on Good Friday, it looked like the star has been taken out, I dare you to just wait to see what the director is going to do. Because the next episode will air this Sunday morning. The next episode scheduled on this program is Sunday morning. And I'm just waiting to see what the director is going to do with the lead character. What are you going to do with the star that is brighter than the morning star? What is he going to do with this cliffhanger? What is he going to do? do for the next episode? And if I get this excited... About a carnal episode I don't have to tell you how excited I am For Sunday morning I've been watching the promotionals all Holy Week How it led up to where we are now I've been watching the little bits and pieces The little commercials here and there That are just showing me bits and pieces of what's going to happen And maybe you say, well Claire, you saved You already know what the episode is But guess what? There's some episodes on my DVR right now that I've recorded. And I put to keep them. Why did I want to keep them? Because even though I already watched them, I don't get tired of going back and watching it over again. And I watch it over again. And why do I watch it over again? Because it was such a, a good episode. I go back to see it if I missed something. I go back and re-watch it and see if I missed any details. Is there something I can get from it this time that I didn't see it before? So yes, I've seen this episode before. But I never get tired of watching it. And I keep it in my heart. And I play it over and over again. And I, can't, I keep reading it to see if I miss something. I keep reading it to see if the Lord is going to show me something that I've never seen before. And the more and more I watch it, the more and more I love the star of the show, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I fall in love with the character in the show. I'm so excited for Sunday morning. I'm always excited to hear how it all played out. And if you haven't heard the end of this, I implore you, I beg you, meet me here Sunday morning. Because see, tonight is to be continued.
1: Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.